here as Kids Church is dismissed. We want to go to the word of the Lord today. Genesis, the first chapter. Uh, Genesis 1 and 27. Amen. Verse 27 and 28, not too far in. First page, easy to find. Amen. The word of God says, For, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female created he them. God blessed them and he said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Amen. I want to uh, launch from this text today, from this title, uh, World Changing Men. World Changing Men, uh, of talking about the men on Father's Day. Amen. Turn to a few people, greet them as you're seated today. Starting first with a disclaimer, um, obviously, um, I am going to be using the word men and man a lot uh, because it is Father's Day, but uh, ladies, don't tell the men that this message can also apply to you. Uh, let them feel special, think it's for them, but it applies to everybody. Uh, when, when looking for an example of a man uh, that has changed the world, there is no shortage of names to choose from. Over the span of history, it can be said of most men that uh, they changed the world for the better. And there are always a, a few bad apples in every bunch, right, uh, that change the world for the worse. But yet the common denominator is that they change the world. Uh, whether through politics or protest or by military might or by peace, whether by invention or inspiration, the world that we live in has the fingerprints on it somewhere, somehow, of men that have changed the world. And that is simply because of how we were made. The Bible says that we were made in the image of God, male and female, God created us. So we are a reflection and a resemblance of the one true God, the one that is all-knowing and all-powerful and all-present God. We are his example. Uh, that is the one who we are molded after. And so that is where we get our creativity from. It comes from our Heavenly Father because He likes to create things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything that we see and everything that we cannot see, from the ants to the stars, from the fish all the way to the heavens and heavens of heavens and he created it all and has power over it all because he is a creator. And that includes the devil. That includes the devil, by the way. Either the devil is a created being or he is an eternally existent God. 
He can only be one of those. Either he's created or he has been existed forever and a, a God of some sort. And so after you get home today, why don't you try out this spiritual activity. Go get some Legos or some Play-Doh or something. Uh, and, and you uh, go ahead and form and make something. Make a figure or a beast or an animal or whatever it ends up looking like. Uh, that is something that you made. And once it is completed, sit there and look at it. And then entertain the thought of that thing beating you up. Of that thing throwing you to the ground and kicking you and putting a good old whooping on you. Uh, you laugh at how ridiculous that thought is, right? Because at any moment, you, the creator of that thing, can just pick it right up and squeeze it and it just crumbles to pieces, or you can just throw it to the ground or you want, and that figure is destroyed, no, no longer exists. Never, ever, ever will that figure that you made ever have power over you because you are the creator. Well, I'm here to remind you that the devil was created. He was made by God as an angel of light, and the fact that his appearance has changed and he sounds so evil and so powerful does not for one second change his standing with his creator because God is still the creator. And at any moment in time, God can just grab a hold of that devil and squeeze him out of existence because the devil is not as powerful as we think he is. He is not equal with our God. He is not the opposite of God. He does not have all power in heaven and earth. No, God does. And guess what? I have God on the inside of me. We have his spirit on the inside. And so greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We should not be afraid of the devil because we have God inside of us, the one who created him and can wipe him out at any moment. It's no contest. It's not even close. God has all the power and has even given us power over all the enemy. It's not of our might or our ability, but it's solely by his spirit. If the spirit that created the devil is inside of us, then we have power over the devil. That is why James says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He's not fleeing from us. He's not fleeing from your strength and how much you can uh, bench press. He is fleeing from the one that created him because we as flesh, we stand no chance against a spiritual being like the devil. And that is why our only hope to win against sin and the kingdom of darkness is to be filled with the Holy Ghost, to be filled with God's Spirit in our life because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. If we haven't repented, we're going to lose every time. If we haven't submitted, we're going to lose every time. If we try it by ourselves and our own ability, we're going to lose every time. 
But the moment that we turn to him, the moment that we turn to God, we can win. We can win over the enemy. The moment we surrender, we can become victorious, not of our ability, but all because of his, his ability and his power. And so whatever it is that you are fighting with, just go ahead and give it to God today. Whatever it is that you are worrying about, go ahead and give it to God today. Whatever it is that may have a hold of you, you let God get a hold of that situation and you watch your life begin to turn around. Why? Because we have somebody greater here than we us and his name is Jesus and he has power over everything, including the devil. We can only see what God can really do whenever we really give it to him. We can only really see what God can really do when we really give it to him. That's letting go of everything, completely letting go, not leaving, not holding on with just two fingers, but letting God have everything. That's when God can really do what he is good at because he is the creator of all things and has power over all things. Not only do we get our creativity from God, but we also get our desire to restore from God. To take something that is broken, something that is rusted or, or damaged beyond repair and to rebuild it and uh, replace it and restore it to its original purpose. There are entire industries and many uh, men have hobbies where they love to restore uh, vehicles or, or whatever, whatever old things are like to be restored. Uh, but the greatest work is done by Jesus Christ. Through the cross, Jesus redeemed us, redeemed mankind with the purpose to restore us to who we were made to be. And restore our relationship with our Creator. But many times, what God originally created, once it gets in the hands of men, we break it. We, 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 we try to remake it, and we, or we'll forget about it, or, or we make a mistake with it. And the only way to really fix it is to give it back to the Creator and let Him remake it and restore it and revive it. Uh, many times we want God to give us a new thing. We want God to give us a new thing. All the while, we have things that God has already given us. Packed up in storage somewhere or forgotten somewhere or left unused on a shelf collecting dust. And yet we'll ask God for something new. Sounds like my kids. Always asking for new toys new stuff and all, all the time, and do I give it to them? No. We, we say, well, you've got all kinds of toys at home that you don't even play with, and so why would I buy you something new when you don't even use what you already have? We don't need something new from God. We just need an old-fashioned revival of the things God's already given us. Re revive our dedication and desire for him. Revive our commitments and our callings. Revive our giftings and our passions. God's already given them to us. We're the ones who've let them drop by the wayside. God will revive them in our lives, and maybe then we can ask something new from God. 
2 Timothy, Paul writes, Wherefore I put in thee remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by putting on of my hands. You see, we've got giftings, we've got talents, we've got abilities that are already in us. We just need to be remember what they are, remember those desires, remember those promises that we made, remember what God has given us, and start stirring them back up. Start stirring up the pot. Stir them up, Lord. Dig deep down and stir, God. Stir up my giftings and stir up my abilities. All those things you've already given me that I may not be even using. And so if you want to change things up in your world, just start stirring. Just start stirring in the prayer room. Start stirring and seeking after God. And let God start stirring your soul, stirring up your heart and your desire and your spirit. And pretty soon, those, those bring those things back up the surface and get that well flowing again. Get that river moving again in your life. And we don't really need anything new. We just need to be renewed because God already knows what he's doing in our life. What did Paul say? He said, be transformed by getting new things. By, by getting new desires. Be transformed. No, he said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You already have everything you need to be the man or woman God has called you to be. There just needs to be a renewing to take place. To get the Holy Ghost flowing again in our lives and following after the Spirit. We already have everything we need to be who we are called to be. We just need to be revived and remade. Need to be put back on the potter's wheel and to be saturated again with the oil so that all that dryness is, is covered up and, the, and it is drenched so that the clay and the vessel are revived and we can be that vessel God has called us to be. So the psalmist said, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. Clean up my heart, Lord. Renew my spirit, God. Renew my mind. It, it sounds to me like the way to change our world begins with a renewing. It begins with a reviving of what we already have, what God has already given us that we may not even be using. Uh, and so that's what begins a transformation of changing the world is by a renewing of what we have. The desire to create, recreate, renew, restore, improve, make better, we get that desire from God because we are made in His image and His likeness. And so since the day that we are born on this earth, we are on a mission to change our world to improve our world, to better our world. Generally, how it goes is the longer that we are here, the longer that we are alive, the better our world gets. Now, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about our world. The little bubble that we live in, our world, our home, our life, our uh, pleasures, our, our blessings, our habits, our, our, our life, our world, 
has your world improved over the last five or ten years? If you've been alive longer, has your world and your quality of life got better than it was 20 or 30 years ago? Generally, most of us would probably say yes. So the longer that we are here, the better our world gets. How did that come to be? How does our world get better over the years? Did it just happen or did we work at changing our world? We are world changers. We are world changers because we uh, have already been actively working on changing our world over the years. And I would think, hopefully you can say, uh, I've done a decent job of changing my world from where I used to be to where I am now. From uh, uh, how I used to live to where I am now. And uh, the work and sweat and tears and working at jobs and, and all these things. We are world changers. We have been changing our world for years. And we will continue to do that until we die. We're always trying to change our world. And so the evidence is there that, man, we are world changers. And we bear the burden to provide our family and for our home, and we do what we have to do to change our world. And as I mentioned earlier, there are plenty of examples of, of men that have changed the world, but there is one man that rises to the top, and that man is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He single-handedly changed the world, but he not only changed the world, but he also changed where men and women will spend eternity in the world to come. People may have a, a lot of influence, a lot of power, uh, and make a lot of changes in this world, but the Bible states that heaven and earth shall pass away. And as much change uh, people, uh, and as much as they desire to make a change in this world, it's not this world that really counts, does it? What matters most is the world to come. And Jesus made it possible to change where you and I will be in the world to come uh, because of what he did here, the impact that he had here, changed the destinies of mankind. Because he carried the, the sins of the world upon his back and he carried them up to Golgotha's hill and there he died and he shed his blood to pay the sin debt of every single human being. Therefore, the work of his, of his death and uh, the plan of salvation was birthed from that. So there, now we have salvation for the world to come. Jesus did a lot of things and he, he, here on earth. He changed a lot of things. He did countless miracles. He, he healed the, uh, the lame, he opened blinded eyes, he raised the, the dead, he healed the lepers. He, he changed the world that he lived in, and even though it was 2,000 years ago, even though he died 2,000 years ago, Jesus did not stay in the grave. He rose again on the third day, and he is still alive today. And we know that the Bible records of all those healings and miracles he did back then. But we know through testimonies and even eyewitness reports 
that Jesus is still working today. He is still changing the world today, one life at a time. He is still healing people today. He is still delivering people from bondage and sin and addiction. He is still changing the world today. And if you have a need in your life, you can bring it to him today because he can do something about it. We think we can do something about it, and we try our very best, but ultimately the only one that can really do anything is, is the creator who has power over all things. We have power over nothing. We think we have power over lots, but we have power over nothing. And so really, what can we really do? What can we really fix? But the sooner we surrender it to God and say, hey, you're the almighty God. You're the creator. I'm putting it back in your hands and letting you do something with it. Um, and so, but of all that he has done in this world and in our life, the one thing that I am most grateful for is the change that he made in my destiny. You see, I was destined to spend eternity in a devil's hell, but God stepped in and he changed things around. He made a way for me and for you to change our destination from a place of everlasting fire and torment with weeping and gnashing of teeth. He changed our destiny to a place with mansions and streets of gold and a, a place where there's no more pain and no more sorrow, no more tears. In a place where there will be no more sun because the glory of the Lord is going to shine so bright that there will be no need for the sun. I'm grateful for what Jesus has done in my life here on earth, but I'm most grateful for the change that is yet to come. You see, we talk about miracles here and now, but how many people will have been touched by God in the present life, but only to spend eternity in hell? How many people have been healed that no longer come to church? A miraculous healing in their life, and yet they're nowhere to be found today on, in church. How many miracles were done for the multitudes, but in the end they were nowhere to be found? Of course we... We pray for miracles and we, we pray for healings and we want God to do those things now. But I, I, I'm going to tell you, I would rather limp my way into the pearly gates than to be healed and to be left for a devil's hell. Hear me, I'm not trying to downplay or discourage the healing power of God. We pray for miracles to happen. We want to see them happen. We pray for healings because we want this world to be changed and our world to be changed. But we need to make sure that we are preparing for the world to come. We need to be preparing for heaven and the return of Jesus Christ. No matter what this world's condition is like, we got to make sure heaven is our home. And we got to make sure we obey the gospel and be our baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, and living a holy and righteous life, waiting for Jesus to come. We need to make sure that is squared off first before we uh, go on any deeper. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul prayed three times and asked the Lord to remove this thorn in the flesh that he had, whatever it was. God, remove this thorn in my flesh. And what did God say? My grace is sufficient for thee. 
So Paul went to heaven with a thorn in his flesh. And as disturbing and as painful and as uncomfortable as it was, I don't think Paul is bitter about it. I don't think he's, he's upset about it now. I don't think that he's, he's mad at God because he didn't, he didn't heal him or he didn't take away that thorn in the flesh while he was here on earth. Uh, but he's there in heaven. We, we, we're praying for healings and miracles. But if God doesn't heal you and just says, my grace is sufficient for thee, are you still going to be here next week worshiping God? Are you still going to be lifting up Jesus? Are you still going to be worshiping, praising him? Even if he doesn't take away the thorn, even if he doesn't take away the pain, and you happen to limp all the way into heaven, but hey, you made heaven your home, and there's got to be no more pain or sorrow or tears there. And so as much as we want miracles and signs and wonders, we still got to make sure we are doctrinally sound and obeying the word of God so that we get into heaven. Because Jesus said, unless a man is born of the water and of the spirit, he's not going to see heaven doesn't matter how many times he's been healed or how many miracles God did for him. Those are not the qualifications to get into heaven. And we all want miracles and we all want healings and we want them. But we got to make sure we're following truth and righteousness and the word of God. And, and God's going to do uh, his will in our life. But even if he doesn't do what we want him to do, are we still going to be here worshiping him? And we happen to go into heaven in uh, the condition that we're at. Once we cross over those, those doors, everything's going to change anyways, right? We just, we just want uh, a better life here on the earth, and uh, we, we want our, our world to be changed. Um, and so, uh, but we got to make sure we're ready for the world to come. And so on this Father's Day, speaking to the men, who have the ability and the power to change their world because you have been changing your world for years. You have the ability to do that. We all have the ability to change the world because we are evidence of our own ability. And I'm not trying to belittle God and his grace and all these things, but, you know, we, you work hard and you're going you're gonna to improve your life. Uh, and so we have the ability to change our world. But how do we change the world? You see the difference there? We change our world and have been changing our world for years. But are we changing the world? Yeah, our bubble is getting better and our homes are getting better and we're constantly working and improving our world and, and, and changing our world. But how do we change the the world. What insights can we take from the greatest world changer? Luke 9 and 57. It came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. The greatest world changer said, foxes have a home, birds have a home, but the almighty God, robed in flesh, does not have a place to lay his head. 
seems, seems backwards. How is it that the very one who spoke the world into existence doesn't have a place to lay his head? How did he not have a home in a bed with a memory foam mattress and a matching memory foam pillow and a thermostat to cool his room to 68 while he slept? Of all people to have ever lived on this earth, Jesus Christ of Nazareth should have that. If there was only one bed in the world to sleep upon, Jesus should get that bed. And we all make do with the ground, right? But how is it then that Jesus said he has no place to lay his head? Foxes have a home, birds have a nest, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. Could he, could he not afford a home where the mortgage rate's so high and keep getting higher? He couldn't get a loan? Was the market so inflated that he didn't want to buy a home? A 30-year-old carp master carpenter, surely he could qualify for something, right? Some kind of assistance to get in a home or, or whatever. But yet he said, I have no place to lay my head. The birds have it better than I do. How in the world can that be? Because Jesus was so focused on changing the world instead of his world. He was concerned about changing the world and not his world. Yeah, Jesus could have bought a home, could have got married, had a family, built a nice life for himself, which would not have changed, which would have changed his world, but not changed the world. If you you can't change the world if you are focusing on only changing your world. Now I know we have, you know, you have to help yourself before you can help others. We get all that. But the, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and what did Jesus tell him? He said, uh, sell all you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. If you want to change the world, you've got to stop focusing on changing and improving your world and focus on the world around you instead of our own world. But the rich young ruler went away sorrowful. Why? Because it says he had much possessions. He had a nice world to live in. He had a nice house, a nice car, the newest of everything. Uh, and his world was really, really nice. And Jesus says, sell everything, get rid of your world, come follow me and come change the world. And, and he went away sorrowful uh, because his bubble was really nice. And all, all the changes that he made to it, all the improvements, uh, he changed his world to his liking, but he could not give it up to change the world. And therefore, he went away sorrowful and sad. Musicians, if you would come, scrolling through the scriptures, we see the names of great men that changed the world. 
One of the first we come across, the great man, is the name of Abram or Abraham. Known as the father of faith, the faithful. The one that is honored by all of the Jews and the one that is recognized by the world. They, uh, even, uh, even the uh, Islamists and Muslims uh, claim him as their father, which technically he is. Uh, and so most of the world knows about Abraham and how he uh, changed the world. How do they know him? Because he changed the world. He wasn't so focused on changing his world, but he was focused on changing the world as uh, God told him to uh, leave his father's house and go to a, an unknown land and leave the world behind you in order to change the world. Abraham probably had it really good in the Ur of the Chaldees, uh, a man of his, his age and his wisdom. He probably had everything really nice and paid for, and, and, and his, his world was nice, and his world was good. As I said, the longer we're here on this earth, generally the better our world becomes. And so Abram, being that old, he, he probably had a, a pretty good life. But God said, leave all that behind. Leave your world behind and go to an unknown lake, unknown place, uh, an unknown land, and I'll show you where uh, I want you to go. And if he was so concerned about his world, then he would never would have left. I wonder how many people, if, if Abraham was the first and the first responder, I wonder if there were others that God went to and asked to, hey, leave your father's house. But they just said, no, I got my life's too good here. I'm staying here. And so eventually he came to Abram. I don't know uh, how it was. I mean, that's just speculation. But we know that once, it, once God asked Abram, Abram left and said, I'll, I'll leave behind my world in pursuit of, of changing the world. Uh, I don't think he knew that he was changing the world, but that's how, uh, that's how it works when a, a man responds, a woman responds by faith, just taking one step of faith. You never know where God will end up leading you and taking you and the, and the effect that you're going to have on the world. But Abraham was one of the first that had a, a, an effect on the world where he changed the world for the better, and a nation was birthed from him because uh, he... Uh, responded by faith, and he left his world behind and stepped out in faith. And he, God used him to change the world, and we are forever changed. The world we live in today is because of, of him and his obedience by faith. Uh, another man who, who left his world behind uh, was a name, man named Moses, who grew up in Egypt, and he just didn't grow up in Egypt, but he grew up in the palace of the Pharaoh. I mean, he, if anybody had a good life, it was Moses. He, he's living the best, his best life now. He didn't even need to buy that book, Your Best Life Now. He wrote the, bite, wrote, wrote the book. But that was his, he was living his best life now, according to the world, in Egypt, in the palace. And uh, he, he uh, of all the Hebrews, he was... He was the creme de la creme. I mean, uh, compared to possessions and worldly, worldly things and, and knowledge and wisdom and understanding, he had all the, the best teaching, the best, the best schoolings and the best possessions because he lived in the palace of Pharaoh. And so he definitely 
had a good life and he could have had lived a nice long age and had a good life. But one day he decided to leave that, forsake the pleasures of sin for a season and he'd rather suffer with the people of God. And so he, he gave up all of that to go live in some tent in the wilderness. He gave up his good life for a tent in the wilderness where he lived for 40 years. And then God came to him again. And we know the story how he came back and he, he helped deliver the people out of bondage, out of Israel. And Moses changed the world because he stopped caring about his world. He says, i got to do something about the world. And uh, uh, one of the most famous stories uh, in the Bible, as I mentioned earlier today, was, was David. Uh, when Goliath was there, the Israelites were battling the Philistines every single day for, I think it was 40 days, Goliath would come out and challenge uh, and defy uh, the most powerful nation on the earth, not by uh, might or power, but simply because they were the nation of God. Uh, God is not concerned about numbers. He doesn't matter. He's not concerned about how big the enemy's army is. Uh, God can do anything he wants to do. He just needs people to respond and to stand in faith and say, I believe in my God. I believe in the power of his name. And God can do anything. That's all God needs is some faith. Without faith it is impossible to please him. And so every day there was Goliath. Mocking and making a, making a spectacle of Israel and, and of Jehovah. Because nobody would stand, stand up to him in faith. And here comes this little shepherd boy one day on a mission to deliver uh, cheese and bread, some food to his brothers who are in the army, who are getting scolded and, and laughed at and mocked by Goliath. And, and here uh, this little shepherd boy just living in his own world, just doing his own thing, you know, uh, no idea that this has been going on for, for days and, and, and weeks and, and for 40 days nonetheless. But uh, here he shows up and he delivers, delivers the food and he so happens to hear at this, at, he just happened to show up at the time where Goliath comes out and challenges again the, nations, uh, the nation of Israel. And he sees the response of his brethren and his and his people of his nation, how they are just paralyzed in fear, not doing anything because of, of how big this giant is. And David could have said, wow, you guys got it tough. I'm out of here. I'm going back home, going back to the hillside, going back to my peaceful life, going back to my, my peaceful world where it's just me and God and just doing whatever I'm doing, whatever I I want to do in my in my little bubble, my little world. But David said, no, uh, I, I got to do something about this. Uh, I'm not concerned about my life anymore, my, my world or my bubble, but I got to do something about this because he is defying the, the name of the Lord. And he said, who are you? Who is this 
this uncircumcised Philistine, I come to you in the name of the Lord. And Goliath fell down that day. And David that day became a world changer. He changed the world because of he stepped out of his little world and said, hey, I got to do something beyond my, my little bubble. I got to step out in faith and, and step out and let God use me to change the world. And God will, uh, I know God will take care of my world. We get so concerned about our world and my world and, and guarding that and, and making that better uh, uh, as opposed to uh, letting God do that. Then Jesus say, uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. What do we do? We, we're seeking God and we're adding all these things. We, we add them all to ourselves. We add them to our life. We make our, our life better. We, we add these things while we're seeking God. Uh, and so we get stuck in a predicament because uh, we're, we're building our world and, and God's asking us to go out and change the world. And we get so attached to our world that it becomes hard, sometimes impossible for many people just to, to, to step out and say, I'm going to change the world instead of changing my world. And that is what we are called to do as, as world changers is to go out into all the world and preach the gospel uh, and, and change the world. And while we are doing that, God will take care of our world. God will make sure we're blessed and we're provided for and we have everything that we need. As long as we put the kingdom of God first, God will take care of us if we take care of him. But if we're so focused on taking care of our world, how is it that we're going to be able to do God's world? Stand with me today. I had the privilege and the pleasure to Go down to Brazil for a few days this past week and uh, got to see uh, a different world. Every time you step out of the United States, it's a different world out there. And I think we all should step outside. It would change our world, it would change our perspective. It's not the first time I've been out, but it's always it's been a while since I've been out. Kind of scary to leave home, I guess. But I got to go to a place in Brazil and to see our brothers and sisters in Christ down there worshiping the same God we do, fighting the same battles, just trying to live a righteous life. And yet, they're doing that with a lot less than we have. And yet, they're, they're so happy to show up to church. They're so happy to show up to church and to worship God. And yet here, it's, sometimes it feels like pulling teeth to get people to come to church. Why? Because our world is so nice and we, we're so concerned about our life and our world and changing our world as opposed to changing the world. I went to a home and... I could probably say with certainty that probably most of us here, we'd never buy that home. We'd never live in that home. And we would just, we'll buy something else. It's not where we're going to live. But yet in that home, a man lived 
50 years, not really concerned about his world, but concerned about changing the world. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, we all just need to forsake everything and just just do it. That's what I'm trying to say. But what I am saying is we can easily get so focused on our world and put all of our effort and all of our energy and all of our talents into our world that it doesn't make it to the world because we're so encapsulated by our world. And our world is different than everyone else's world, I can tell you that. If you've traveled overseas, you know that our world here, 90% of the world does not live like we live. And so this house that none of us would buy, none of us would live in, this man lived there, though, with his family. And he, this one man, started 130 Bible schools. Over 250 churches he started. Tens of thousands of people are saved because of one man who said, I'm not concerned about my world. God will take care of my world if I focus on his world and changing the world. I, I, I know what you're thinking, that we, we're not Jesus and have a family and we have our place to rest our heads and our kids have a place to rest their heads. And I'm not saying that we need to sell everything and go live under the bridge and try to change the world from there. But the way to change the world is to stop focusing so much on our world for a moment to think outside of our bubble. We have jobs, we have homes, we are part of this world, but we are not of this world. And we can go and we can move every day, all week long, all throughout the county and city. We can, we can uh, go through our normal routines and all these things. We can do that all inside of our bubble and we can get all these things and go to these stores and we can change our world and our bubble and improve our bubble with not really even touching the world around us. But how is uh, our city going to be reached unless somebody says, let me stop changing my world for a little bit and let me go out and change the world. Help me to make a difference out there in the world because my, my world has improved so much. I've been working so hard on my world, and I know I'll be continuing to work on improving my world to my dying day. But what if we just stop for a little bit and put pause and don't need to keep buying new things and say, hey, uh, let's just for a little bit, maybe instead of uh, buying this, let's go and help make a difference in the world. Doesn't the Bible say that the harvest is ripe? That the fields are white? The harvest is ready, but pray for laborers to go out. Pray for people to leave their world and just go out into the world and say, God, lead me to somebody. Help me to make a change in the world out there, in somebody else's life. Uh, God, you've blessed me so much that I'm going to take a step of faith and to, to pray for somebody outside and uh, help me to change the world. Because I know that if I put your kingdom first, you'll take care of my needs. The money that I spend on 
fancy clothes or fancy coffee or fancy shoes or fancy things, whatever it is that we, that we try to improve our life and, and make our lives feel better with. What if we gave that to somebody else one time? What if at one time we just said, oh, uh, uh, you know, instead of paying $5 for a cup of coffee, I'll just drive by and give that $5 to somebody on the street. What kind of, what kind of change will we, re, we really be making once we step outside of our world and say, God, use me to be a world changer. You, I've already changed my world, but God, I want to do something more for you. I want to do something great. I want to be a part of this end-time revival and not just be there on the sidelines, but God, I want to be there right down in the middle of that, and that's going to require us to step aside, step out of our homes, step out of our world, and step into the world to let God use us in these last days. Man, as we close out the service, I want to open up these altars. I wonder if we can all come. I know it's Father's Day. If you're a father here, won't you come bring your family? Let's all come down to the front today and say, God, renew in me, God. Renew in me a desire, God, for your will, for your kingdom be done. Stir up, God, the gift in me that you've already given me. Help me to use this, God, for your will and your kingdom. Come on, let's pray for our fathers. Pray for our husbands. Pray for one another. God, help us in these last days. Father, be focused upon you, Jesus, on your kingdom.